This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. So we now come to time of scripture reading. Uh, today we'll be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 25 to 40. Uh, I'll be inviting Mason up uh, for the Bible reading. Uh, and for the congregation, you can follow along with the words uh, on screen or use one of the Bibles we've provided uh, next to you. We are reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 25 to 40. If you're using the Church Bible, it is on page 1149. Page 1149. I'll begin reading from verse 25. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is, a, it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them, for this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably towards the virgin he's engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. 
A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. This is God's Word. Thank you, Mason, for the Bible reading. Uh, we now come to the time of the sermon, and let me invite Pastor Andrew up uh, to give the sermon. Pastor Andrew, please. Okay, good morning, everyone. Great to see everybody here. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you this morning, we pray for us to have attentive hearts, for your Holy Spirit to be instructing us as we look at this really important topic in the world that we live in. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I was speaking to uh, someone who said that they're really scared to go to Chinese New Year gatherings. And I said, oh, how come? And they said, because, you know, every time I go to Chinese New Year gatherings, they always ask me, are you still single? Why are you not going out with anybody? When are you going to get married? Now, it's uh, rather surprising to me then because I've actually met Christian people who say to me, they're scared of going to their church because from the pulpit or from the Bible study of their friends, they feel this pressure about whether they are still single, why they're not married yet, and when they're going to get married. I think the sad reality is that actually for some churches and some Christians, they feel that the ideal default status for Christians is to be married. And somehow if you're single, then you're not quite there yet as a Christian. Now, on the other hand, on the other end of the spectrum, there actually are some people who believe that as Christians, we should be single, like singleness should be the ideal status for Christians. So, uh, when I went to university in Australia, in Sydney University of New South Wales, for the first year, I stayed in this residential college called Warren College. Now, before I joined the college, I didn't realize, but it's actually a Catholic college, and it was run by this group called Opus Dei. Now, Opus Dei uh, is actually a very influential arm of the Catholic Church. And when I went to this college, residential college, at each floor had a master, right, a floor master, and he was a brother. We always called him brother. And all of them were single. And they were kind of like uh, watched over by the priest, and he was also single. And there was a college administrator who ran the whole college, and he was also single. And I have friends of mine who are still friends of mine today who later became members of Opus Dei. And guess what? They are also all single, right? And so later on, I realized that Opus Dei, part of this Catholic church, for them, the ideal is that uh, if you become a Christian, you would remain single. So what is this supposed to be? What is the ideal Christian identity, right? Should we be focusing on being single? Should we be married? And to a certain extent, that's what today's passage is about, right? What is the Christian ideal? Should we be single or should we be married? And that's the direct question that the Corinthian church had posed to the Apostle Paul, right? Now about virgins. Now, virgins in those days were essentially single unmarried people because virgins were the people who had not yet gotten married. So interchangeably in this passage, virgins can refer to women virgins or unmarried men. 
And so they asked him the question, right? What about virgins? Should they be married or should they stay single? And Paul's answer was pretty clear and straightforward at the beginning, right? I think it's good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. So from the onset, he makes it clear that they should remain as they are. And I think that was one of the principles that Nick was talking about last week. And so for the ideal Christian identity, Paul starts off by saying, look, singleness and marriage, or being married, is like, doesn't really matter, right? It's, it's okay if you're going to be single, if, you, if, if, you, if you're going to be married, then continue to be married. But the passage actually has a bit more complexity to it, and that's what makes reading this passage a bit harder to understand. Now, the context, right, is really important because Paul seems to describe things in a peculiar way. He says, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. And then later on in verse 28, he says, but if you do marry, you have not sinned, and if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Now, I want us to note that he speaks in a very weird way, right? Why does he say he has no command from the Lord? And if you do marry, you have not sinned. And he repeats again, if a virgin marries, a a woman virgin marries, she's not sinned. Well, remember the context of the book of Corinthians. What was happening in ancient Corinth was that it was a very sinful place, right? It was like sin city. And particularly, it was a place renowned for its sexual immorality. And we know that what happened was many of the Christians who came from their pagan, promiscuous sexual lifestyle, as we've seen over the last few weeks, they brought this sexually immoral way of thinking and living into the church. And so in response to this, the Christians in Corinth were pushing back. But they seemed to be pushing back too far, right? They were going to the other end end of the spectrum. They were saying things like, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. It's not good for a man to have sexual relations with a woman. And what that meant, I think, if we look at the context, was they were saying that it was not good to have sex at all. They were pushing it back against the sexual immorality, the sexual license and sexual promiscuity of their culture, but they were going too far to the other side. And they were saying that even within marriage, they should not have sexual relations. And that's why Paul, in his advice now, tells them, look, there's nothing wrong with being married. Marriage is not sin, and sex within marriage is not sin. And there's no command from the Lord about marrying that is actually against his will. So in the particular circumstances that he's saying here was that marriage is not sinful, and sex within marriage is not sinful. But he goes on to say and refer to their life circumstance, right? And so within life circumstance, it seems as if they are living in a present crisis. He says, because of the present crisis, those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. Now, we don't know what this crisis really is that brings them so much trouble when they get married. If you look at the commentaries, if you look at what commentators say, the crisis could be just generally the time between their time and the return of Jesus, right, the last day. The crisis could be, if we read contemporary history of the time, there was a a famine uh, that uh, we know happened in this part of the world where Paul was writing. 
It could be that there is some generalized crisis that's happening because as we read later on in the book, Corinthians, people within the church were dying, right? They were dying. We don't know why they were dying, but obviously they were dying at a rate greater than was normal. The crisis could just be generally the sexual immorality of the day. We don't know. It's all speculative. But because of this crisis, he says, it is better in his mind to be single. Because to be single was to spare you much trouble because of this crisis situation. Now, I think that that's true, right, within the particular life circumstance of crisis. In crisis times, it's easier to be single than to be married. I've heard of missionaries who, because they know they are going to a missionary situation which is very dangerous and very harsh, they choose not to be married before they go into the mission field. I remember seeing this Australian guy. He came and spoke at the, our church gathering once. He was talking about how he was a missionary to Africa, and basically he, he would go from village to village and tribe to tribe. And he recounted about how one day he went to sleep in his tent, and then the next morning when he woke up, he heard all this gunfire because the government and rebel troops were fighting one another, and he kind of had to pack up really quickly and and left straight away. Now, obviously, as a married person, there's no way I can imagine that he would be doing his mission work. Sadly, I know of another missionary couple of family that I know who had great love for Africa and spent many years in Africa. But they were forced to return back home because his family had been attacked and, uh, in the house and robbed while he was away on mission. And so I think it's true during crisis times, during the life circumstances of crisis and difficult times, it's easier to be single than to be married. That's what Paul's advice is to them. Because of their life situation, he's saying to them, look, better for you guys in Corinth at this time to be single to spare you much trouble. But it's not a sin to be married. And it's still acceptable and right in God's eyes to marry. Paul goes on to to explain. He says, what I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. For this world in its present form is passing away. So if he starts off with their particular life situation of crisis, he speaks now to all Christian situation. Now what does he mean when he says the time is short for this world in its present form is passing away? Now if you remember back in chapter 1, when we become Christians, we recognize that the reality in which we live in has changed. When we become Christians, we recognize that Jesus has died, risen again, and gone to heaven, but he's going to come back again, he's going to be revealed, and we as Christians look forward to the day of the Lord Jesus Christ coming again. And when he comes back again, we know that the world as we know it, the world that we see it, the reality that we live in, will come to an end. And that's what Paul is writing about here. He's saying that as Christians, the Corinthian Christians, and we together with them, must put on the glasses of eschatology, right? So remember a few weeks ago, eschatology is just a complicated word for end times or the return of Jesus or the last days. And he's saying, look, as Christians, we need to view everything through this lens, these glasses of eschatology, and recognize that Jesus is going to come again and the world that we live in, this present world, its present form, will all disappear. 
And because of that, we then therefore need to view the world in a very different way. And that's exactly what he says here, right? He's saying that from now on, those who have wise should live as if they do not, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, and those who buy something as if they do, were not theirs to keep, and those who use the things of this world as if they were not engrossed in them. And what does Paul mean by this? I mean, I don't think he means, you know, now that you're married, you live as a single person and you go and you know, hang out with other people of the opposite sex and chat to them and date, right? That's not what he's saying. He's saying that now that we have the glasses and we see the reality that this world is not all there is and it's going to come to an end when Jesus comes again, then we are not to live engrossed by the things of this world from now on. So he's not saying that if you're married, you live as if you're not married. He's saying, yes, live as if you're married, but do not become engrossed by the things of this world. Right? If you buy something, recognize you're not going to keep it forever. If you enjoy something of this world, yes, it's good to give thanks and enjoy it, but this world is coming to an end. And I think what he's really trying to say here is that all these things, marriage, happiness, mourning, things, they are not sinful or bad things, but the danger is you can become so engrossed in it that you forget that this world is passing away and that Jesus is coming again. So marriage, in a way, <clears throat> Paul says, is dangerous, right? Because it can become like a little idol. It can begin as a blessing, but end up as a curse. Because we can become engrossed and absorbed and obsessed with the things of this world, including marriage. So I've seen this before. I've met up with uh, single people at church and they want to get married. They, they really desire to find a good spouse and we pray about it. And over time, God blesses them with a good spouse and they get married. But what happens is they become too engrossed, right? Too engrossed by marriage and their spouses. What happens is they become really busy with the things of marriage. They stop going to Bible study, stop going to church, they stop growing as Christians because of the marriage. They say, oh, you know, I, I can't come to church because I'm really busy with my wedding preparations. I've got to check out all the wedding venues, check out all the wedding photographers, choose all the wedding outfits. I'm really busy with choosing my flat. I've got to go to the HDB, visit all the BTO sites, so, you know, I've got to see all the resale flats over the weekend. And after they're married, then they're really busy because they've got to do all the renovations. You've got to meet the contractors, then you've got to go down Ballester Road, choose all your shower heads and your bathroom fittings and your kitchen accessories. Then you've got to go and choose your tiles and all the different paints. Right? And then sometimes when people get married, as couples, they develop all these interesting hobbies, right? which I think are quite interesting. Like, you know, you go scuba diving, ballroom dancing start uh, doing all sorts of stuff together, and then they, they find that uh, they've got no time for God. And it's very interesting also, you know, sometimes when the couples get married, they don't come to church because one spouse gets a cold, right? So the amount of time that they miss going to Bible study and church actually doubles because it's not just one person getting sick. Whenever you've got two people getting sick now, whenever they get sick, then they, they don't come to church anymore. And then when children come, for the six, first six months, they can't come to church. And then as they get older, it's harder for them to come to church as well because the church have activities and tuition and remedial lessons and hobbies, right? 
But that's the danger that Paul is talking about, right? Because that's the danger of marriage. You can become very engrossed in all these things. And as a result, the marriage becomes like a little idol. And you're no longer having the glasses of looking forward to Jesus returning, but you're living only for this world. So that's what Paul is saying here. The Christian identity of singleness or marriage must be seen through the lens of Jesus' return. And all our decisions of singleness and marriage must be seen through that lens, and we must be looking forward to the return of Jesus, whatever decision we make in singleness or marriage. Now, Paul goes on to say this, right? He says, I would like you to be free of concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But the trouble with marriage is, a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. And therein lies the risk of marriage. And his divided and her interests are divided. So marriage, he says, inherently has the problem of the danger of divided interests because not all of my attention, not all of my emotions, not all of my energies can be focused on serving God and thinking about the things of God. But I'm thinking about my spouse and their needs, which rightly is so. So Paul then puts this question mark then about marriage. And he says actually singleness is superior to marriage in this sense because instead of focusing on divided interests, the unmarried man and the unmarried woman can be solely concerned about the Lord's affairs, how to please the Lord. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord both in body and in spirit. And so Singleness is superior than marriage because it gives the single person then the opportunity to live in the right way of undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, I think this is true, isn't it? As single people, you don't have to worry about your partner, your spouse. You can give your life to serving God and your energies to serving God. It's like, I remember there was this uh, very famous uh, preacher, John Chapman in Australia, who's a very famous evangelist. And he was a single person, and, and he actually shared about how, actually, as a single person, it frees you up to do whatever you want, right? I mean, as a single person, you don't have to worry about what your wife or your husband wants. You can just do whatever you want. That's the very definition of being single, right? But as a married person, you have to worry about what your spouse wants and needs are. And so he says here, as a single person, you can live a life of undivided devotion to the Lord without consideration for a spouse. So therefore, in view of this, singleness is good because you're not divided in your interests. You can give undivided devotion to the Lord Jesus. But Paul actually is very pastoral, right? He says, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you. Now, remember, the context in the church in Corinth was they were saying that marriage was a sin. But Paul is not saying marriage is a sin. He's not trying to restrict them. And this word restrict is actually quite a complex word, right? It's literally, he doesn't want to put a noose around them or put a snare on them. 
Because by demanding that every single Christian become and remain a single person, it's like a noose and a snare to people. And Paul is saying that he is not commanding that everyone remain single. In fact, he says that for some people, it's actually good that they get married. So in verse 36, he says, if anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably towards the virgin he's engaged to, and if his passions are too strong, and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He's not sinning. They should get married. Now this is really interesting here. We kind of miss it in the English translation, but in the original language, this word here, they should and they get married, are actually commands, right? They're, they're not like suggestions. They're not just, uh, you know, things that Paul thinks are, are right things to do. He says, if your passions are too strong and you're not acting honorably towards the, the virgin, you must get married. You should get married. So I think this is very important, right? Because he doesn't want to put a noose on people or to snare them and force everybody to be single. But he's saying, look, if your attraction is too great, your passions are too strong, you should get married and you ought to get married. So the one who marries the virgin then does right, but the one who does not marry her does better. So what Paul here says is, look, it's good to be single because you can have undivided devotion to the Lord, but if your passion is too great, if the attraction is too great, you should get married. He doesn't want to put a noose on you. But the more important thing is, you notice how he keeps relegating the importance then of singleness and marriage. He's saying that actually your, your Christian identity comes before your marital status, right? As you put on the glasses and look forward to Jesus' return and see that this present world is passing away, as you recognize that your life needs to be devoted to Jesus, then that will determine whether you remain single and that determines whether you remain or you choose to be married, right? You choose to be single because for you, that gives you the opportunity to be devoted to God. But you choose to be married as well because you recognize that you are, the power of your attraction to, to, to someone is so great that actually it becomes a distraction from you in terms of your focus to Jesus. But notice that he makes one condition, one last condition at the last part of the book, that it's better to be undivided, but it's still right to be married. But there's one condition he puts right at the very end of the passage. He says a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, so he doesn't believe in divorce. But he says if her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone else she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she's happier as she stays as she is, meaning single, but I think that I too have the Spirit of God. So Paul ends in a very important way. He's saying as we recognize our identity is one looking forward to Jesus' return and this world in its present form is passing away, and as we live lives or focus on Jesus, that you can choose to be single, that's your choice, but if you choose to be married, there's only one condition he puts. They must marry those in the Lord. Now, what does this mean to marry those in the Lord? Well, within the context of what we read so far, to marry those in the Lord must mean those who share these values, right? To share these priorities 
of seeing that this present world is passing away and who give total devotion to the Lord. Now, this is important, I think. And Paul ends this way because he wants to make sure that the marriage blueprint is on the same page. See, because marriage is like a building, right? You're building a structure. You're building a marriage. And you need to have the same blueprint. And Paul says both spouses need to be on the same blueprint. They need to have the same plan. They need to have the same priorities. They need to recognize that this present world is passing away. And they both need to be devoted to the Lord. Now, we began today by introducing the person of Solomon, right? King Solomon. King Solomon was known to be one of the wisest people of the world because he asked God for wisdom, right? Solomon built the temple for God. And Solomon, during his time, extended the size of God's people, their territory, greater than it ever done in history. But as we saw in today's reading, Solomon had one flaw. Solomon had one fault. He married lots and lots of foreign women. Women who did not belong to the Lord. And what happened was, after he married them, if you notice here, his heart, it says, held fast to them in love. And because his heart was held fast to them in love, his wives led him astray. His wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God. And so Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. Now, if we reflect on the life of Solomon based on what Paul is saying here, then actually you can see that Solomon would have actually benefited from Paul's advice, right? Because he became engrossed by the things of this world through his marriage to women who did not belong to the Lord. His wives led him astray. And he was not completely devoted to the Lord anymore. His interests were divided and he turned away from God to serve other gods. And so you can sort of see here from Solomon's example what Paul's advice is played out. The implications of Paul's advice that if you marry, you must marry someone belonging to the Lord who holds those same principles and priorities of looking forward to Jesus' return, being devoted to God, because if not, there's a danger that you will be engrossed by the things of this world and your interests will be divided and you will serve other gods. Now, can you see this book in my hand? So you can't see, obviously, because it's quite small, but this is actually what it looks like. This is the oldest book that I own. My uh, mom's good friend gave it to me in 1982. So this book is what? 40 years old, right? Okay. It's actually a daily, uh, daily Bible reading, which is actually quite unique because uh, all, all it does is it, it collects uh, passages in the Bible which talk about the same topic and kind of like groups it together. This uh, aunt, Auntie Chu Yu, gave it to me in 1982 but I wasn't a Christian, right? She gave it to me before I went uh, overseas to study. She wrote, This book has helped and guided and comforted and strengthened me through the scripture verses for the past 21 years when your mum presented me a copy in 1961 all the way from Sydney. 
Now, this is really interesting because um, Auntie Chu Yu and my mom were churchmates in Singapore, and uh, my mom went overseas to study and brought her this exact book uh, when she came back. Now, my mom was, uh, at that time, 1961, very serious, committed Christian in the Christian Union at Sydney University. And uh, Auntie Chu Yu was very committed as a Christian uh, university uh, student as well in National University of Singapore. I was born in 1968. But the interesting thing was, I never grew up as a Christian. My mom never took me to church. She never took me to Sunday school. She didn't read any uh, children's Christian stories to me. So how come in 1961, my mom was so serious about Christianity and was serving in the Christian Union and Sydney University and bought this book and gave it to Auntie Chu Yu? But by 1968, and by the time I grew up, she wasn't Christian anymore. Well, the reason was because between 1961 and 1968, she met my dad in university. And he wasn't a Christian. And so they dated, uh, they went out, they got married. And by the time I came along, she no longer went to church and she was no longer a Christian. While Auntie Chu Yu, uh, when, uh, with her husband, continued to serve as uh, leaders in the, in, the, in the Methodist Church in Singapore. Thankfully, my mom became a Christian before she died a couple of years ago. I think this sort of shows, right, what Paul was saying. It's like he's saying, if you want to marry, if you want to be single, it all has to come over under the, the priority, the perspective, and the rubric of looking forward to the return of Jesus. It must fall under the, the perspective and the worldview of devotion to the Lord. That means that as a Christian, if you do choose to marry, you do need to choose to marry someone who has the same blueprint, right? Who belongs to the Lord. So in all that we do, we need to see that our Christian identity is not marital status. Our Christian identity must be, first and foremost, looking forward to the day of Jesus' return. A life of undevoted focus and devotion to the Lord. And through that, we'll then determine how we choose our marital status of being single, and of being married. So let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we really want to pray for this difficult topic. We pray that uh, you'll help us as Christians to put our priorities right, that we would, in all things, make decisions based on our correct perspective of looking forward to the day of Jesus' return, to see that this present world and all these things are passing away, and that we must be living lives of undivided devotion to serving Jesus. So, dear Father, help us through those priorities to choose, if we need to, to remain single so that we may give our lives an undivided devotion, undivided devotion to Jesus. But if we feel that the passions are too strong, that we will choose rather instead to be married. But if we choose to be married, we will not become engrossed by marriage and the things of marriage. <clears throat> but we would use our marriages to serve you. And at the same time as we choose our spouses, 
that we would listen to Paul and listen to your word and choose those only who belong to the Lord, who share in these priorities of looking forward to the return of your Son, who choose also to be devoted to serving your Son in all things. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Andrew, for the sermon. Uh, we're now coming to a time of reflection questions. Uh, so we'll, come, we'll take some time to reflect and discuss what we've just heard uh, with our neighbours and those around us. Uh, so the questions are on screen, so uh, please turn to the nearest, closest neighbour uh, or those on online to break out rooms and have a fruitful discussion. Uh, another thing to note is if you prefer, if you prefer to uh, reflect by yourselves or take some time to contemplate by yourselves, uh, feel free to just maybe pick up one of the Bibles we have here so that we know that you know, we won't <laughs> ask you to discuss. Uh, so the two questions are, number one, uh, how, or oh, just the four questions, sorry. Uh, how has today's passage challenged your understanding of being single and married? And uh, is there any personal application in your life? Let's take about five minutes for discussion, and then we'll come back uh, together soon. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg